For the latest in Australian and World Rally news, join me, Luke Witten, from Rally Sport Magazine on the Special Stage Rally Podcast every week. It's news, insights and analysis with big names in the sport joining us regularly to talk rallying of all sorts. Catch the Special Stage Rally Podcast now, available via the Motorsport Podcast Network on all your regular podcast apps. A Motorsport Podcast Network production. Hey everybody, welcome along. It is the V8 Sleuth Podcast, another episode here. I'm Aaron Noonan. Great you've tuned in. Can't wait to bring you this episode. Thanks everyone too. The great feedback we had on part one of my chat with Tickford Racing Team Principal Tim Edwards was fantastic, so thanks for getting in touch. I learnt lots from part one of that chat. I never knew that Tim's dad raced in the early years of the Great Race when it was the Armstrong 500 at Phillip Island in the early 60s before the race moved up to Mount Panorama. And the stories of his time in England and Europe in F3, sports cars, Formula One with Jordan, they were great. If you haven't heard part one, check it out. It's really good stuff. Now, this year marks the 20th anniversary of Tickford Racing, which, of course, began as Ford Performance Racing in 2003. And just as a little aside, we've produced and we're in the process of producing a book on the history of all of the cars of that team. It's due out in December 2023, and Tim's been there for nearly all of that time. In fact, he joined the team in early 2005. Now, on this episode of the podcast, we're going to dig into that era of his career across FPR, which became Pro Drive Racing Australia and is now known as Tickford Racing. But it's the same team. It's been in the same building all the way through his time with the team. It's impossible to cover all the angles of his near two-decade tenure with this team. So we're going to jump around a bit across a range of topics in this chat. So anyway, here we go. Buckle up, part two of my chat with Tim Edwards on the V8 Sleuth podcast. So it's 2005 that you walk in here at the building we're in. It's yeah. the, the sign on the front's Ford Performance Racing, not Tickford Racing. What was your impression of what you were walking into? Clearly well-funded team that was still new, was only going into year three, hadn't quite got up and going yet. But what did you see when you walked in here of what needed to be done, what your role was, how it was all going to be? Fucking chaos. Really? <laughs> oh, my that God. That good. It took DR three or four weeks to convince me to take on the job because so I was what, actually what enjoying. The line? I was actually enjoying signing triplicate <laughs> for, for, for a pencil when I first walked in here. Because well, the, the the day I walked in here the first time, they'd asked Phil Key to to show me around, and I think it was ten days out from the AGP, which was the first race, and they're frantically trying to build the first true. FPR car, which was FPR five hundred one. Greg Ritter was mm-hmm. debuting it at the at the um, at the Grand Prix, and I walked in here and I saw probably not even half a car. People asleep everywhere because they were literally working all nighter, all nighter, all nighter. They were just it, it was like Cooked. oh my fucking god! What have I just got myself in for? I you? mean, I walked around the facility itself, and I thought, well, this is like a mini Jordan. Really, they've got a machine shop, they've got a composites, they've got a fab shop, they've got you know, an engine department. You know, it looks like it's you know all the key ingredients are here. But oh my god, how the hell do you find yourself in a in a situation with this car that's like? You know, what are we doing for the front crossbar? Oh, yeah, we haven't even designed that yet. So literally there's Fabby's there just going, well, that bar will do there and welding it in. And it was just – it's somehow they got it to the grid at, mm. the, at the Grand Prix. I think I actually went to the Grand Prix and just stood and observed. Um, yeah. 
<laughs> in fact, I think I even went to the first race at Adelaide, which must have been the second race of the season and, and observed as well before I actually started. But, yeah, it was just like, wow. Um, but, you know, the ingredients were here and with a bit of cajoling. Um, so in the end, you know, I think it was the fact that Rod Barrett started on the same day as me. So essentially we sort of co-ran the team mm. um, and Rod was – he looked after the commercial side. I looked after all the, the motorsport side of the business and um, and that's the way we were for, you know, for a couple of years before he, um, he took an opportunity in the road car business, FPV, and left me – <laughs> Left you on your own. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> correct. Two thousand five. So we're, we're talking an era where Greg Ritter was here, Jason, uh, Jason Bright. Bright was here. Yep. Um, at the time that he was starting Brightech as well, but he was a driver here, but a team owner. Well, that's and, how they'd got themselves into the mess they were because the, I think that the deal that, that that got cut for Brighty to drive here was that they would give Brightech two of their existing cars. So they had now BAO 10203. Mm. Um, they kept one of them, which is what Bridie was driving at the Grand Prix that year, and they gave Brightech the other two cars so they had no option but to, for, Have finish, some more. Yeah. to build the first true FPR car. Um, so that's sort of the whole Brightech and Brightie um, was the whole reason they sort of they were so desperate to get him as the driver. that um, They kind of gave away too much to... Do that then, yeah, yeah, correct. Yeah. yeah, the next guy that walks in the joint is a guy who was here for so long. I'm looking around here; he's on the wall here in a couple of spots. In Mark Winterbottom, so he arrives. How did that all come to be? Because he'd been at Larco's for a couple of years off the back of Stones bringing him into V8s. But how did that whole process? Because he became a huge building block of this team for you know more than half of its time in the championship. Yeah, and and look, well, I mean. We had about, you know, I can't really go into too much details, but Greg Ritter was, he was a great driver. Um, but there were some other complexities in the background, which meant that we actually had to get rid of him um, before the end of the year. Before wasn't the it? end of the season. Yeah. And that's, we put Brabs in briefly because he, uh, he co drove for us yep. that, that year. Yep. Um, but yeah, we're in the market for, for a, a new young driver. We, we had Bridie locked in for 2006, but we needed, you know, somebody young and. Uh, and that was who we decided that we'd go after. And uh, Rod and myself met him in this very seedy, really Korean or Vietnamese restaurant in the black back blocks of Sydney, yeah. and um, <laughs> Western Sydney, and 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 cut the deal with him to to drive for us in two thousand and six. So, <laughs> yeah, and 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 look, and and he he really benefited. You know, he he was very lucky in his two his teammates were. So he had his first period obviously he had Bridie who was technically very good. So he learned a huge amount from an engineering perspective from Bridie and then Richo comes along who is probably the the best commercial um, driver I've ever seen. You know, he can engage in a 300-person room with the CEO of the company and the, the cleaner mm. equally. And so I think Frosty learned a huge about that side of what being a race driver was for from um, from Richo. So, you know, he was very, you know, benefited from his teammates in those early years. But, um, you know, you think he finished, I think he finished 26 driving for Larco in 2005 and his first season with us he finished third in the championship. Mm. So... Mm. You know, it was you know the talent was always there, and um, it was yeah, and he was with us for 
over a decade. Yeah, yeah, long period. Uh, 06 was that year of the win at Sandown in the 500 with Bridie and, yeah. and Frosty, Bridie hanging on from uh, Rick Kelly in that last run. So, it's the, I mean, FBI had one with Craig Lowndes in the wet in 03 at Phillip Island, but that was a bit of a shortened race, asterisk. It's in the record books. It was a win and yeah. a win's a win. But that felt like the first FPR, I mean, it's the first major endurance win, but at that point did you feel like you had all the bits together now and you'd sort of, you know, you'd stopped, you'd looked, you'd watched, you'd got the young bloke in, you'd moulded and you were sort of now at the point where you were actually legitimate? Because Bridie had won earlier in the year two and had some polls and it wasn't just Sandown was an isolated result. Yeah. Either. I mean, even to this day I don't think we've always, I've, I've ever got all the ingredients in, in place. I always feel like... There's, way, there's room for improvement. So mm. I've never, ever felt, no, no, we've got all the ingredients now because I don't think even you to this can. day ever can. Yeah. I mean, the, you know, the list of ingredients is endless and so I don't feel like we've we've ever got them all. You know, I think you'd be, um, you know, I don't think anybody really should think they've got all the ingredients because the, the goalposts always move as well. You know, you mm. always feel like you're improving but your, com- your competitors are doing the same. So you just you're always on this eternal quest for for improvement. And so, I mean, certainly that's where the results started to come. Mm. Um, but, yeah, it doesn't stop the quest for improvement. Mm. 07 Bathurst, one that got away. You, you, you're looking at me as if to go, oh, oh no. Well, Not this mean, one again. We've still, so, so what we've done with our Bathurst wins is we've got the bonnets off those actual cars signed on, a, on what used to be our lunchroom wall before we outgrew it. It's now the gym wall. We've actually got the 07 bonnet there as well and everybody who was involved signed the bonnet because that was as close to a win as you're ever going to get, you know, mm. fastest in every practice. Fast, you know, we were just we just led everything for the weekend and with 13 laps to go, you know, Frosty's the pioneer on that piece of – on the on a bit of water at the chase and – the one that got – that is really the one that got away. You know, we've had so many second places where mm. we've literally been close, but that particular race we just led everything. Mm. So the one that got away. Yeah, there's always a story. But if you don't win it, there's a reason why you could have won it all. But yeah. of all of them, that's but, the one that pops yeah, up. I mean, you know, prominent. we go where there, we go there every year to be in the hunt. You know, mm. you, you just – you know, you've got to be in the hunt and, you know, you need a few things to – Fall your way, and generally we're, we're in the hunt. But that one was, you know, we were being hunted because mm. we were just, you know, we we're almost untouchable. Mm. You know, unfortunately, you know, I blame Tony Cochran because he started the race half hour later that year. <laughs> Had he not done that, we would have been you would standing. Have hit the on, rain. We would have been standing on the podium when the rain came. Oh. Do the math: 20, 27 minutes. That could have been home. No, no wet chase. Yeah. Yeah, hadn't stopped to think about it that way. No. Clearly you've had a bit of time to think about it that way too. Yeah. Because the, the thing is too that I want to talk to you about and, and we had a little bit of a tie-in with you on this, but that car from 07 became the car that ended up the next year having Richo's crash at Eastern Creek that he had that head-on with coming out of Turn 3 and it was a jaws of life to get the engine out and all over Red Rover. That car's now gone to race car heaven, that wherever one, they go. That one is... Fair income gone. That one's been crushed. Yep. Gone, gone, kaput. But for a yeah. long time it was here out the back. Ten years. But wasn't it wasn't it Chris O'Toole? He would never let us get rid of it. He was superstitious yeah. and he insisted. So it sat on stop on top of our oil store out the back. And then it had a partner come and join it on the top of the oil store. Thanks to Chaz. Chaz's two thousand and fifteen um, Bathurst accident. So there we were with two chassis sitting up on there and 
um, and Clive Sangster used to be the sort of operations factory manager here. He sort of had a 5S policy and um, and while I think Tully, I think he fell off his Harley, broke his, broke leg, his leg and while he? he wasn't here, we took advantage of that to <laughs> literally get that chassis down and send it to Sims to be crushed. <laughs> <laughs> It had enough of staring at it. It's cool. yeah, it's it's one of those things that you look at for long enough and go, oh, I just don't need to look at this. Yeah, but correct. but the other thing that I want to thank you for too for um, the Chaz Mostert wreck and as a terrible day that was, and he got injured, and the leftovers of that car were here for a while too, and it was kind of around the same time as you were detooling that car out of the building yeah, yeah. that we went, oh, hang on a minute, what are you doing with the chassis one? And we were able to, before you decided to give it to Sims, it's now up at the National Motor Racing Museum at Bathurst and it's one of the most viewed displays up there because oh, really? people yeah. can – it's right at the exit point now. There's some imagery and uh, vision in the background behind it and, and people can really see it up close with all the, the panels pretty much off it and the, the damage to – really make people, even the most hardened motorsport followers, see it to go, oh, wow, that's unbelievable what happened there. Well, I'm glad you told me about that because my now current team manager, Matty Roberts, he was pestering me, we should get it back. We've had to repair some so, much, so many damaged cars over the last couple of years. We We're could now, save it. We, we could are, save it. We are now masters at, <laughs> at, at, at repairing cars. <laughs> um, we should get it back and, and rebuild it. So I'm glad you've told me that. So yeah, well, I, I'd already said no to him, but that'll, that this will just cement that decision. Yeah, okay. Well, yeah. If, if I've helped yeah. you, you're yeah. welcome. Sorry, Maddie. Yeah. If I've not helped you, yeah. Sorry. Um, th there's so many topics, and I know we're, we're a little bit tight for time, but I'll, I'll keep rolling on. Um, one of the things I'd forgotten until I sat down to just write some notes about this was that period where you and Stones had some swaps. So a lot of people won't remember this, but Shane Van Gisbergen tested an FPR Falcon and vice versa where Frosty and I think Richo did too, go and drive a, a Stones car. Yeah. Um, SVG in an FPR car, a lot of people that will do their head in, they totally won't remember that or even yep. know that. Well, and, and we, we even – I think we've still got an SBR engine downstairs as well because there was a bit of work going on in the background with engines as well. So, yeah, to be honest, until you just mentioned that, I'd completely forgotten about that 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 piece of history as well. And that was a bit of a tie-in to try to unite the Ford teams because obviously Triple Eight were no longer being supported by Ford. They were the hog <laughs> team at the time, I think. Um, but you and the Stonies had a bit of a well. A I always there. got on really well, you know, with with Ross. I mean, you know, obviously I've been on the board and the commission of supercars for fifteen years, mm. I think. And so when I was on the board for the first four or five years, Ross was on the board as well. So I'd quite often go up the night before, stay at Ross's house. Um, so I got on really well with Ross. And um, um, and and I think, you know, Ross was always about the sport as well. Yes, he ran his own team, but, you know, he, he was good to work with on the board because he did care about the sport, you know. It's not just about the, um, you know, how your particular team's going. When you're on the racetrack, that's fine. Mm. You know, you, the, you know, that... that Gesture of goodwill is long gone, but <laughs> somewhere um, over there, it's, it's way but, away. You know, when you're on the board in the commission, you do need to take your team hat off and think about well, what's good for the sport, what's good for the show, and um, and so you know, I've always got on really well with Ross. I wanted to. It's hard to go through twenty years of history in one sort of gap of time. We might have to try again another time to fill in some of the other gaps. Um, Twenty twelve was an amazing year because you. Uh, with Frosty and Will Davison and Triple Eight with Craig and Jamie won every race 
in the championship that year. I think it's the only time that's ever happened, particularly in uh, the modern era of the V8 supercar kind of era. But there wasn't a championship win. There wasn't a Bathurst win. There was a lot of wins between the five and six cars out of here. Was that peak? I mean, I know you did win the championship and there's some Bathurst to come, but I just remember that year as being those cars were really fast, regally everywhere. Reynolds emerged as well as a kind of a, a third string of your, mm. your your cards here that you had to play. An amazing year, but there's probably not the the big ticket silverware to show for what was. And I know Will even says he loved that trading post car. He loved that era of, of his career here at FPR because factory team, strong, fast, successful – but it's probably a bit overlooked in the history of the, if we looked at the 20 years, that that one's kind of a bit overlooked. Oh, it was incredible. I mean, and, and I actually reg- regularly refer back to that year because, um, you know, for a team, you know, that was that was the year prior to Car of the Future. And, you know, that was one of the goals of Car of the Future, much like it's one of the goals of, of Gen 3 is that, you know, you've got multiple winners because for the, for the championship, you know, it was a disaster. Having two teams win every single race of the mm. championship, we were having a whale of the time. <laughs> but even I knew deep down, well, this is actually not healthy for the sport. You know, it's one of the reasons I stopped watching Formula 1 mm. because when in that era where the silver cars just went into 1-2 and you're like, okay, well, it's just going to be one of those I two. I think I would get to lap four. Five, six, and then Correct. I was. Ugh. That's right. So that, would, yeah, and and so we were doing the same. But but you know, every year when we go and race in Perth, that is the highlight reel that comes up from supercars or from us. That last lap where <laughs> where you know and you know. Dado's line gets a run. Yep, get them or have them off. Have them off. But how good a last lap! Uh, oh. If you're a motorsport, it doesn't matter who won. If, if you're in, if well, you it helps that it was your car. It, but do, it, it does, does help. It, it does help, but it does. You know, I think even for the for the Holden fans, you know, the fact that was just an amazing mm. last lap because mm. you had no idea who was going to win. The fact that Will hung on with those tyres, unreal, was so fucked. Yeah, yeah, and he's got those two handing him, and oh, it was just an incredible lap. But mm. yeah, yeah, that was have him or have him off. Have him off. Yeah, and. In terms of rivalries, I mean, FPR and Triple Eight had a really, you know, always had a strong rivalry because for a fair chunk of it, you've been on the other side of the manufacturer fence. And for a time, you're on the same side in their early phase before they, they made the jump to, to Commodores and, and Holdens. But often, though, fans of sport probably think more so about when you're in the rival camps for the rivalries. But it's just as much a rivalry when you've got the same badge. <laughs> On the front of your car because you, you, you're fighting among family in essence. Well, I think it's probably because both the teams started at a similar time. They both had sort of the um, international mm. background to them with Roland, you know, bringing a Triple Eight, you know, obviously being a UK team, Pro Drive owning this team. So I think, you know, we both signed Win Cup and Winner Bottom the same year. So, yeah. you know, there was a lot of things similar about the two teams. And then we both end up, you know, mm. competing. So, you know, so aggressively with each other. So, um, so yeah, I think, you know, there's multiple things that make up that, that rivalry. Yeah, that's sort of, you know, DJR sort of got their foot in the door about, you know, four or five years ago um, to, um, to sort of be their number one rival, you know, through Scotty Mack era. Mm. But, um, but, yeah, it's been good. And, you know, I've, you know, I can't, you know, can't have anything but respect for Roland and what he's, what he's built up there and – same thing. I mean, I was on the board with him for a long time as well. And, you know, you get to see the Roland that, you know, does so much in the background for the sport, not always the Roland that everyone throws darts at when you're on the racetrack. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people don't see that other Roland too, particularly in, in the fans. They yeah. don't see that. Or, yeah, no. or, or I mean, I side with them. You know, I like throwing darts <laughs> at him as well. But 
How did I know you were going to say that? How did I know you were going to say that? Um, the great period of three years in a row where there's two Bathursts and then the championship that this team's hunted for a long time and that Frosty. So because uh, it was a 10-year journey for the team to win Bathurst, it was a 10-year journey for Frosty to win Bathurst from when he started at Stones and it was coming to that point where the Ford deal was going to go away and the world was changing in, in well, Australia and motoring mm. and, and all that stuff too. Add in the fact there was the Car of the Future stuff, the FGX. I mean, that little period of three years for you guys was – and you add 12 on the, the front of that too, but amazing era where you got the silverware that you were chasing for for so long. And, and you know, because those stories were starting of, when are they ever going to win one of these things? Yeah. Like they've been close so many times, 07 and other years had fallen away and loose batteries in boots had caught on fire and all sorts of, you know, stuff that happens at Bathurst. Yeah. But, you got those days of glory that no matter what happens before or after, you have those that other teams don't have. Yeah, I mean, it was a great era. And, I mean, you know, 2015 before Chaz's accident as well, you know, the pair of them were going. Well, you probably won two in the championship, yeah. really. Yeah. yeah, I yeah. mean, you were at the time. Yeah. So. yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it could have gone either way in the end. You know, it could have mm. been Chaz's first championship because they were both racing, you know, pretty hard with each other but yeah it, it was a it was a great era and you know that FGX you know because we we're the homologation team back then as well so that sort of added a bit of extra kudos for us as well that you know we'd managed to homologate you know such a competitive car as well so um yeah I mean it, it, you know it was a, a great era and that's not to say that even our current era is not a great mm. era you know I think you know the sport just evolves and um you know, new teams emerge like you're seeing this year with with Erebus. You know, you know, I think it's actually healthy for the sport mm. that you know, new team and younger drivers are emerging, and it's not just the, you know, the Triple Eight show or the DJR show or the Tickford show. You know, you know, now it's the Erebus show, and mm. it's it's great to see for the category. Yeah, and it's not always. I mean, we did have that, and a lot of people refer to that car of the future first year, where there were lots of different teams winning, which was great, but. It, some of those teams that won, they won a race, maybe two, but it was still the cream of the crop that were still winning the, the bulk of them. So it's the way I, that it's sort of stuff I did, To be honest, I did expect it to be similar to that in the first mm, half I think a lot of, of people this did. season. A lot of and people it hasn't did. actually panned out. Not like even that. close. <laughs> no. Interestingly, though, when you look at the, the, the qualifying, though, certainly, you know, it, everybody's up and down. Yeah. You know, you'll see. No one's got a Feeney great average. Feeney down one and he's on pole the next mm. race and wins it. And Gizzy's down one and mm. he's up there. Then. So, you know, even the even the cream are yeah. still, you know, yo-yoing a lot. Yeah. But certainly Erebus, you know, they have been consistent front runners, you know, from the outset. How do you, I mean, we talked about the start, um, you know, since 05, we're in 2023. How do you stay up for the challenge here. I mean, because it's, it's a long amount of time. It's a draining gig. There's a lot of pressure. There's all sorts of elements that, you know, um, come with this sport. How do you keep yourself up year on year for the fight? Or is it the fight and the competition and, and that stuff that you still relish and you're here at your desk every day and at a racetrack every other weekend and, you know, still hunting to, to go and win trophies and races and all that stuff? <sighs> to be honest... It's the race days that that motivate me to do what I call the pain in the ass in between. Yeah, you know, managing a business that's got sixty employees and you know, you know, the, you know the commercial pressure, the financial pressure, the you know the it's it's a difficult gig. Mm. You know, it's you know, um, and so it's the race days. That, that's when I go to the racetrack. That's where I get to go. You know what? Shut my computer. 
I don't give a shit what the spreadsheet says and I don't give a shit what, you know, that can wait until next week, and, you know, that that commercial issue we're dealing with or whatever, whatever. it is. Yep. Um, you know, the race meetings where I get to just enjoy the racing and forget the business because invariably between races I spend probably 5% of my time having anything to do with the racing part of the business, you know. Mm. Yes, I go to pre-briefs and debriefs, but the rest of the time, you know, i got Brad Wishoes and my chief engineer and Matty Roberts, you know, my team manager and, you know, and, you know, a, a sort of a management leadership group of, you know, six or seven of them, you know, they're doing so much of that because at the end of the day I'm running a, you know, um, a small business and, you know, the business actually ends up being the priority between rounds not the racing, though. You know, I've got to entrust. You know, I'm not the type of manager that has a dog and barks. You know, they're 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 employed to do a job, and you know, you know, rule one of of being a good manager is make sure the people that work for you are better than you. And mm. so, you know, I've got some great people working for me, and and that means that I don't have to stress about it every day. Of course, I'm across it, and I get a lot of emails that you know you CC'd on, and you sit on the sofa at night and read these thousands of emails <laughs> that you copied on, so that you're aware of what's going on. And occasionally, uh, yeah, you know, I feel I need to intervene. But yeah, largely, you know, the, those people focus on the racing between rounds. Mm. I focus on the business, go to the racetrack, and focus on racing and enjoying. Mm. You know, ultimately, what you know, what needs to be the passion of the job. Yeah, go through the grief during the week of all the ugh, stuff to get to the fun yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. If yeah. you enjoy looking at spreadsheets and, and, <laughs> and more than you enjoy going to the racetrack. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, what yeah. a job! <laughs> I think I yeah. heard a bing in the background. I think that was your email going off yeah. before too. For the latest in Australian and World Rally news, join me, Luke Witten, from Rally Sport Magazine on the Special Stage Rally Podcast every week. It's news, insight and analysis with big names in the sport joining us regularly to talk rallying of all sorts. Catch the Special Stage Rally Podcast now, available via the Motorsport Podcast Network on all your regular podcast apps. National Motor Racing Museum we talked about before with where that Chaz crashed car is. Um, we've had a long time involvement with them and they help us present our couch racer questions where the fans get to ask our guests on the pod some questions. Most guests have a sneaky look. Have you had a look? You haven't, no. Haven't had time? You've been too busy doing emails no. and stuff? Okay, right. So we'll, we'll race through them. Okay. Some of these are interesting and some of them are yep. you, you, try not to pass. Okay. Okay, you can't run your no comment <laughs> stuff here that you right did on. a while back. Well, it depends what they ask me. <laughs> okay, Chris Wilson on Facebook. Have you got a favourite car from your, this team and its period? Ooh, jeez. Look, if you could have any of those cars from over the journey and money was an issue, which one are you parking up at Chateau Edwards? Um, I reckon it would be one of the – probably the 13 Bathurst winner. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is overseas now, isn't it? It is. It yeah. lives in the UK. Yeah. 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 Because it's a Bathurst winner, because, because it was Bathurst the first winner, and you know, ticked a major milestone in that great looking car. Can't mention the brand on it. <laughs> you can I? I can though. You might not be allowed <laughs> to anymore. Uh, it's a Pepsi Max crew uh, car, by the way. But uh, yeah, it was, it was you know, great looking car, and to and to tick off your first Bathurst, mm-hmm. I think you know that's. That's cool. Yeah. What was the first time you went to Bathurst? Did you go as a young bloke I before did. you were with FPR? Yeah, no, I went with all the guys from Melford's in 86 and 87. And oh, are you there for the World Touring Car Race? So in 86, um, 
I was in a tent at the top of the mountain yep. and didn't sleep for the whole time I was there because people were doing circle work around my tent. <laughs> Scared of getting run over. Yeah. Oh, um, I've experienced that with, as a young with, bloke With too. my XR350 there that we were just riding around in shorts and no helmet. Uh, <laughs> and we went back in 87. They'd, they'd, uh, they'd, they'd got a bit stricter and so we weren't allowed to ride our bikes around without helmets. We had to put helmets on in 87. Oh, what a letdown. But we also elected to hire a caravan because most of us wanted to sleep this year yeah. rather than shit ourselves that we're going to be run over in our in tent. In your tent, yep, yep. So, yes. Yep. I had that same experience mid-90s, thought exactly the same thing. Or a flaming toilet roll would fly through the side of the tent. Yeah. Interestingly, my son, my younger son, Ben, went up there with his mates from school uh, last year. Yeah, I think it was like, yeah, it was last year. And... Um, uh, Camping up the top, and um, and the camp next to him set off the sky the fireworks one night, oh, and um, unfortunately, the stand that they were all all on tipped over oh, at and them. shot all of the skyrockets <laughs> through their camp. Oh no! <laughs> and I thought, geez, sounds like the good old days. Yeah, I was going to say, I thought they'd fixed all that. Uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick on Facebook. What sort of final damage bill do you end up with at the end of a season like last year? So I, so I generally, running four cars, I generally budget about a quarter of a million dollars. Last year it was about 600. Across all four. Oof, horrendous. Ouch, ouch. Um, Jamie Mill on Facebook, you've worked with lots of drivers over the years here and in the UK. Who is the hardest working and who is the most naturally talented? Oh, that's a hard one. I think naturally talented... Um, was you know maybe Chaz, mm. you know he just you know, and I even joke about it with him now. You know, you know, you know. I got to a period here where I was forcing him to get fit, um, and you know, and there's and but but you know, I think he's more naturally comfortable as what I call fat Chaz. <laughs> <laughs> so um, you know, he just I think it's very very natural for him. You know, he just doesn't mm. you know. He's sponsored by a bourbon company for a reason. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, and the hardest worker, um, uh, Nick Heidfeld was a was yeah, he was just a, yeah. I mean, some of the Formula One drivers are more there for the you know for the glitz and the glamour and the the yeah. partying, the the women. The, mm. Yeah, um, he was never you know German, very serious. Um, yeah, and came and drove. Um, Gold Coast as well. So that was a cool part of that Gold Coast era. I missed it was, that, wasn't we, it? Yeah. It was cool to see some of those guys who would yeah. never, ever other yeah. otherwise realise would come and, yeah. and drive any of our cars. Um, Andrew Williams, this is a good one. Hi, Tim, a.k.a. Doc Brown. Uh, how did the Back to Future video and livery come about? He wants to know about that. Some of your you, – it must be said – some of your acting performances in Tickford and FPR promo videos and stuff over the years – I have to compliment you. It's been very good. It's been top notch. Well, the one we did in the sand dunes after Adelaide last year that had a few elements to it. That we, you would think that 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 was four people. There was Cam, Thomas, T Rat, our video guy, and me. We arrived at the sand dunes at four o'clock and we left at six o'clock. Having create, there was no script. Having created that. Now Tom's an amazing videographer. Yeah, the way he. But literally, it was. It was me saying, I'll come over that sand dune and, and Thomas going, I'm going to come out of the sea. And, <laughs> and we'll, uh, it was literally the four of us just made it up on the spot oh, yeah. and it was funny. But that one was that, that one was um, was more to do with the fact that we're sponsored by Pepsi. It was the 25th anniversary of Back to the Future, mm. the Pepsi futuristic 
bottle was in that um, and so there was the connection through Pepsi and Universal for that. They approached us about doing it. Then we had to get Universal Studios involved. In fact, Universal had to sign off on that. Mm. So once it was produced, it, we literally got critiqued by the Americans <laughs> before it could um, before it could be released. <laughs> but I'd like to actually see the the um, the outtakes from that, or the un, or the stuff that ended up in the cutting room floor. That that bit where we're, they're sitting in the driveway, it was actually in Frosty's house. So where they're sitting on the sofa is Frosty's house. Yeah. The car sitting in the driveway was in his driveway and at two in the morning it had a flat battery. So I'm sitting in this DeLorean with Chaz and and Frosty pushing me down the driveway trying to bump start a DeLorean in Essendon at 2 a.m. in the morning. (laughs) What other team principals doing this shit? Yeah, but what other drivers are at two in the morning trying to bump start a DeLorean time machine? (laughs) In, in in a driveway in Essendon. Uh, one. There's only one. There's and and two. then obviously Frosty had – sorry, Chaz had his accident. Yeah. And so then we, we subbed Ingle in and then we're like, well – So you had to come we, and film here again, didn't no, you? No, but we'd half filmed it. We'd filmed yeah. the first half of it. The plan was to go to Bathurst and we'd film the second half to, half after Bathurst for the car to launch at the, at the, um, at the Gold Coast event. And all of a sudden, no we've lost one. So the driver in the car, as it does a burnout down the driveway, is actually Cam with Chaz's helmet on here out in front of the workshop yeah, at night. Yeah, yeah, where it where it does the burnout, and and then and then we well, how do we write Eagle into it? And then the fact is, he's twenty five years older than Chaz, roughly, and it, it kind of the whole thing just went. <laughs> we're like, hang on, he's back from the future, and they just they edited a little bit of the script and, and got to put to to put that in. So I love those behind the scenes bits, yeah. that, and that's a really well remembered um, of all the different activations and liveries and stuff that's been done by this John. I think that's one of the ones that's a podium I've, finisher for I think sure. I've still got the outfit behind my desk. You're joking. <laughs> yeah. So good job. This is not a uh, oh, you're video lucky we haven't got a video here as well. <laughs> I'd be making you get that out. I'd be making you get it out. Uh, Liam Briggs wants to ask, does Dave Richards still keep in touch and follow the progress of his old team? Yeah, well, every now and again we hear from him or if he's out in this part of the world. Um, yeah, so yes, yeah, he, he still keeps tabs on us, yep, 100%. Yep. Nice. Uh, Darren Burke asks, uh, what's Chris O'Toole up to? We talked about Tully earlier. Um, remember his name from years ago at the team uh, and he's asked what was it like working with, with Rod Barrett, which we, we kind of had, had touched on, but Tully's around though still. He's not here, he, but he's around. He, he, he's works for, he works for Rob Herod just down the road in Thomastown mm. um, uh, in the road car business, you know, where they put superchargers and things on. So, yeah, so he's he's not far away. And, and Rod Barrett, well, he was, he was an amazing guy to work with, you mm. know. Obviously it was very sad his passing, but um, – it, you know, the, the couple of years that we sort of co-ran the business were great and then ironically he ended up working for FPV and all the, although we're sort of related entities, they're a sponsor. So all of a sudden mm. he's gone from being on the inside to, to the outside going, well, for that money that we're paying, yeah. you know, I know some of your other sponsors get, <laughs> I know your get, get more hot laps and I think I, I think should have a bigger have. sticker for that amount of money. I'm like, mate, that's like insider trading. You can't, you can't do that. So, yeah. That's from the inside to the outside, looking yeah, back inside. Correct. Um, Ray Dredge, what was the reason and the motivation to get the dude to drive with Chaz? Um, I can't actually remember, to be honest, how it came about. Um uh, and I think it was it was to do with we're looking for an experienced driver um, to work with Chaz um, to sort of give almost be a bit of a mentor to him. You know, like I said earlier, raw speed is there, mm. um, 
and so I think that was you know that was the uh, the, the core reason behind it. But to be frank, I can't honestly remember. Mm. It worked out okay. That's the bit that kind of matters. It, in it the, definitely worked out right. And, you know, and, and, and got to give Paul his first mm. Bathurst 1000 win. Yeah. He, uh, he'd he stood on that podium before as a winner with a different uh, cola brand, but he just had to swap colas to get a win at Bathurst yeah. that worked out. <laughs> uh, Tommy Tucker, what was the theory with not running the adjustable anti-roll bars many years ago? That was a that was a that was feature Phil of – That was Phil Keed. So is it like oh, yeah. BAs, BF sort of yeah, – no, no. Um, Phil Keed was always about compliance, didn't want any compliance in the system and he wasn't comfortable that you could have an anti-roll bar that there wasn't a little bit of free play because obviously given it was adjustable and so that was – that was Phil Keed's trait. In fact, I think he took that to BJR for, and so for a period, they may have only had an adjuster on one car. So that was that was Phil, and 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 ironically, we've gone full circle, and Gen Three's got no adjustable oh, roll bars. I was going to say, so yeah, you'd, yeah. you'd think Phil had got himself a job at Supercast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he has it, by the way. Actually, uh, interestingly. It was BJR that were tasked with actually designing the uh, adjustable anti-roll car for the Gen 3 car. Maybe that's why There's we haven't got it. <laughs> <laughs> There's an already in all of that. Um, there was another question here about uh, I think one day you might have given Moffat a bit of a bagging on uh, on TV somewhere along the line when he and Frosty had got together. Uh, it prompts me to think that I've, given, I've, I've actually given um, a few drives back. In fact, Will's uncle still reminds me about when I gave Will a bagging um, when he was driving for DJR, and I think it was at, at Darwin. Oh, Darwin, and, and 07. I, and, and I yeah. called him a midfield moron. You did. <laughs> to which, we, yeah. we talked about this on our podcast not long ago doing a Darwin episode. Yeah. He got what from the results and, yeah, you, you gave him yeah. a, a belting and then you gave well, him a job a few years belting. later. Oh, well, you, <laughs> that's right, yeah. But he's, he's, yeah, he's, he's, he's uncle still wide. Every time he sees me, even to this day, if I bumped into it tomorrow, he would say, yeah, how's that midfield moron going? <laughs> <laughs> well, I can't remember giving him off a, a Oh, I think it was a Sydney Park, uh, Sydney Olympic Park one. Um, we must have forgiven me now. Yeah, I think you guys are all right now. I think yeah. you guys are all right. He's part of the furniture here these days. Um, we've seen Grumpy Tim on telly, but this year it's been Happy Tim. I want Grumpy Tim back because I reckon Grumpy Tim gives us good content and Happy Tim's not so good with content. Well, Can yeah. we find like medium range, the, the problem, Tim? The problem I found over Christmas is I bump into people and they go, oh, you're not as grumpy as you appear on television. <laughs> so all of a sudden all these people think I'm an angry Absolutely. old fuck, and I probably am, but <laughs> – well, and you've got to think about it and put it into context. They rarely put a camera in your face when things are going well. Correct. It's only when, you know, you've been penalised for going off the track and, you know, they expect, oh, he'll say something here mm-hmm. and I call bullshit and mm-hmm. and uh, and they get what they want. Yeah, yeah that's how it works. <laughs> that's how it works, you know, you know. But, um, but yes, I have got the commentary team into me now and and, you know, and I did make Scaife a promise at the start of this year that I was going to smile more this year, which he's holding me to account you've for. You've done well. Because he, do, he, 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 he keeps bringing it up round after round. <laughs> Is he going to be smiling today? <laughs> you've done all right. You've done all right so far. Um Another thing we do, just to finish off, I know you've got to shoot for a meeting very quickly. Um, top ten shootouts. You've seen plenty in your time. You've had plenty of your cars be in them and fastest in them. We have them on the V8 Sleuth podcast as well. It's just a label bullshit for word association. Okay. So if I say something, you tell me the first word or description that comes into your head. Jesus. You can't repeat the same one. That's the rule, though. Righto. And if you need multiple words, we can hyphenate them, and it's technically one word anyway. Bathurst. 1,000. Yeah, nice. David Richards. Nice bloke. Two words, but I'll let you have it. Uh, 
<laughs> Eddie Jordan. Irish. Oh, come on now. <sighs> Playboy. <laughs> <laughs> um, Roland Dane. Angry. Oh, really? Have he's you, a grumpy have old you, man, isn't he? Have really? You, it takes one to know one, does it? <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> no. He is an angry old man, yeah. What's the biggest blow up you two have ever had? Oh, well, I could probably give you my nickname. He calls me that fucking Edwards, which I wear as a badge of honour. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Uh, Mark Winterbottom. Frosty. Oh, I thought you were going to say that. That's so obvious, so obvious. Well, that's the first word that I came know, into my is, head. I know, it is, it is. Yeah. I mean, that, that, you know, that nickname was coined back in the Orcon days and it's, yeah. it's definitely stuck. Uh, Silverstone. High speed. Oh, yeah. 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 Hyphenated, done. Yep. Jamie Winkup. Champion. Mm. Time seven. Mm-hmm. Formula One. Cool. Alan Docking. Ripper. Cam Waters. Hmm. I was going to say top bloke, but can I hyphenate that? Yeah, so, hyphenate's yeah. fine. That's what it is. It's a top bloke. I thought you were questioning whether he was a top bloke or no, not. No, no, but no. You were, no, you were thinking about bloke, the hyphenation. But, but, but um, then I found myself, shit, it's two words. <laughs> <laughs> Um, mate, thanks for playing along with that. Thanks for answering some questions and going for a drive down memory lane. We we kind of had to skip across a bit of the the Tickford journey, but um, I'm sure at some point down the track we'll be able to to fill in some of the gaps. And of course, with the book, we'll also be able to do that too, yeah. where we can go through all the cars across the period. So I think pretty much all bar a couple have been at your time at the yeah. team. So I'm sure you're going to get a follow up call or email or three from us I and our blokes to talk about some of the things that pop up over the journey. To be honest, I've really enjoyed this. You know, it's you know. I've been doing this for thirty-five odd years, so and you know, it's. I actually find it, you know, quite rewarding reminiscing because this forces you to think back, doesn't it? You know, normally you just don't think. What did I do twenty years ago? You're, yeah. not, you're not thinking about it, so you know that's probably why I'm sitting here with a smile on my face because actually, you know, it's it's good to talk about it and and relive good and bad times. So yeah, thanks for coming in. It's been good. But the other thing has been though. This is the first time on this podcast we've ever had nude launches in saunas mentioned, and I think it will probably be the last time that's ever mentioned. Yeah. Thankfully, I don't have any photos of it, and <laughs> I never want to see them. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, it'd be good to have a phone call with Doco, actually, and say, do you remember that launch in the Intercontinental in Helsinki in December 99? Well, no, it would have been December '88. Yeah, it was. It was before he drove for us in the the Camel Formula Three car. I know, weird. Two big fat Russian fat Russian women <laughs> beating you to a pulp, <laughs> and then throwing you into ice water. <laughs> it was an amazing thing that they do. But yeah, to walk in to a room full of naked journalists. And there you go. And I don't want to hear you complain about a Supercars press conference ever no. again. There you go. <laughs> you need to research this. This could be a new thing. <laughs> well, there you have it. A huge thank you to Tim Edwards and the team at Tickford Racing for bringing it all together and hosting me. It was fantastic to sit down. It's been a while since I've been to their workshop. In fact, I think it was pre-COVID that I was last out there. So it was nice to see plenty of people from the team, some familiar faces, and check out the place. It's a little different from when I was last there. Now, next week on the V8 Sleuth podcast, we're going to put our eyes forward to Townsville, the NTI Townsville 500. Will Dale and I are going to delve into the history of this event, some of the weird stuff that's happened, some of the forgotten stuff, some of the unique stuff that you might have not really picked up along the way. 
There's always something to chat about with these events and their histories, and there's lots to chat about with Townsville as well. That's next week on the V8 Salute podcast. We're going to have another Q&A episode very soon. It's been a little while since we've done one, so send in your questions via our socials or the contact form on the V8 Salute website, and we'll do our best to answer as many as we can. Right, that's next time on the pod and the upcoming weeks. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Go through the back catalogue to listen to some of the previous eps in the meantime, and I'll be back next week with the V8 Salute podcast. I'll chat with you then. For the latest in Australian and World Rally news, join me, Luke Witten, from Rally Sport Magazine on the Special Stage Rally Podcast every week. It's news, insight and analysis with big names in the sport joining us regularly to talk rallying of all sorts. Catch the Special Stage Rally Podcast now, available via the Motorsport Podcast Network on all your regular podcast apps.